Good morning, CrossFit Rosa Parks. My name is Libby Inglehorn, and typically I'm over at the Howard Drive campus, so thanks for letting me be here today. We have been reading through the book of Colossians in the month of June. If you're just joining us now, I'm going to get you up to speed. The Apostle Paul wrote this letter to a new young church in Colossae. And Paul is in prison trying to encourage this young church and to clarify a few things they were confused about. So we're going to begin today in Colossians 2, verse 6. If you have your Bibles, that's terrific. Also, it will be up on the screen. So we're turning to Colossians 2. And would you allow me to pray first as we begin? Holy, holy, holy are you, Lord God Almighty. We worship you and we adore you. Jesus, you are the name above all names. Today, will you speak to us? Each person, whatever they need, wherever they're at, God, meet them where they're at. Use Colossians today to teach and bless and encourage and challenge. Amen. So we begin in Colossians 2, verse 6. Now, check out these first two words. It says, so then. Wait a second. You don't begin a section with so then. It must mean we need to go backwards and see what Paul is talking about. The section before this, Pastor Brian spoke on last week. And Pastor Brian pointed out that Paul was contending for these new believers. He was working so hard for them, trying to teach and encourage and instruct, even though he had never met them, because they were worth it. And Paul tells these people that they have found the map and the treasure in Jesus Christ. And he encourages them to keep living in Christ. So now we get to his conclusion today. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 6 and 7, those two verses, aren't they beautiful? Some scholars would say those two verses are key to understanding the section and perhaps the whole book of Colossians. Rooted and built up. If you had your Bible, I would say please underline those words. Rooted and built up. Well, rooted in the original language it was written in is in the tense, perfect participle, which means it took place in the past, but the effects persist today. Christ did the work in the past, and we are bearing fruit because we are connected to him. There is a perennial source of life and growth for the spiritual plant. Now, I'm not an excellent gardener. My husband's a little better than I. But I know an annual blooms for one year, and a perennial lasts for season after season. It grows and continues to bloom year after year. The Colossians were growing their roots deep in Christ. They were already bearing fruit and they had a perennial source of nourishment. 
built up is the other phrase that I would have you underlined. Built up in the original language, language is written in a present participle, and it speaks to the steady growth of the structure. And actually, the preposition before it talks about Christ is in the structure. In other words, he's like the glue or the mortar in this building. So the common theme, Paul is using two different metaphors, right? Rooted and built up. And there's a common theme in those two metaphors. Christ is the life of the plant, and he is the binding force of the building, what holds it together. And maybe you recall earlier in Colossians, chapter 1, verse 17, that said, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together, rooted and built up. So if the Colossians are doing this, that's good news, right? So what is the problem with the Colossian church? Well, we read on in verse 8. Take a look. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Remember, this Colossian church is young. The culture that they would have grown up in is very different from the new life in Christ they're pursuing now. The two main pressures that the Colossian church is facing is the pressure to observe the Jewish rules of the Torah and to continue with the polytheistic culture that they live in. Polytheistic meaning many gods. So on the one hand, the Jewish rules would have covered things like strict dietary rules, strict Sabbath restrictions, and circumcision, just to mention a few. There was actually 613 Jewish laws. Paul clarifies that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Jewish story. So it is no longer necessary to follow all those rules. And on the other hand, because Jesus Christ is the one true Son of God, polytheism isn't an option. Christianity is a monotheistic religion. We have one God, don't we? So at that time, every city would have had unseen residents. They would have had gods and goddesses that the people thought they needed to please. If anything went wrong in their community, a natural disaster, anything, they thought the gods were angry. So they had regular festivals and holidays and sacrifices to try to appease the local gods and goddesses. And if someone in one of these small towns would have started following Jesus, the neighbors would have noticed. In these small towns, no one really had a private life. Everyone knew your business. Only the very rich could afford a private life. So common people, their neighbors would have known their business. So if they did not show up for a festival, the neighbors would have been concerned that they would throw off this delicate balance of keeping the gods and goddesses happy. Or they would notice that they weren't keeping the traditional Jewish laws. Paul 
encouraged these new Christians to remain steadfast. The Colossians felt pressure to make everyone happy. Their neighbors, their friends, their family. They needed to follow these additional Jewish rules and or the polytheistic practices. So this letter to the Colossians is very clear that Jesus Christ is the center and all that we need. I preached the first week of this series over at Howard Drive, and I explained that the book of Colossians is actually one of the most Christological or Christ-centered books in the whole Bible. The Colossian people felt pressure to have Jesus plus something else. I would say that in the history of the church, we have sometimes struggled to have Jesus plus something else. And man-made rules on top of God's rules are sometimes really unhelpful or actually harmful to people. We today sometimes add pressure to our own lives, add additional things to our own lives because we're putting the pressure on ourselves or we feel the pressure from some outside source. We think these additions will make our life better when in fact sometimes they just make us busy, our lives cluttered or more stressful. And Jesus is really offering freedom from these rules that previously demanded so much of the people. Let's jump back in at verse 9. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self was ruled by the flesh, and that was put off when you were circ circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Man-made rules. All these additional rules are impossible to perfectly follow, aren't they? Some may try hard and appear to do well, and others of us fail right out of the gate. Some of us know what that feels like a couple days after a New Year's resolution. You feel just discouraged and miserable about yourself when you can't reach an expectation. Well, Jesus has paid the debt. We cannot achieve it. He knows we can't do it. So he took it to the cross. 
He nailed that certificate of payment to the cross. You know that every criminal that died on a cross had some sort of sign on the cross, nailed, that explained what they were guilty of, the crime they had committed. In Jesus' case, it said, King of the Jews, which he was. King of the universe, he was guilty of that. Jesus took all of our failings and the actual, like, we can't reach the goal. He took all of that to the cross and paid for it. He has wiped our slate clean. Thank you, Jesus. So we keep going in verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Only a shadow of the things to come. The rules were a shadow. Jesus is the real thing. We wouldn't want to focus on and follow the shadow when the real thing is available, right? Like if you're standing next to your loved one, you're not going to follow the shadow. You want to be next to your loved one, right? So the Old Testament law was a shadow of the things that were to come. The substance is found in Christ. What the Old Testament foreshadowed, Christ fulfilled A shadow is only an image cast by an object which represents its form. So once a person finds Christ, they no longer need to follow the old shadow. We don't want to chase a shadow. We want to chase the real thing. Amen? Verse 18 through the end of 23. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. A word that came to mind for me when I was reading that section is legalism. Are you familiar with that term? Those verses quote the language of the false teachers. Don't touch that. Don't taste that. Stay away from this. And if you look at that verse 23, it emphasizes they might make you look good and promote your self-made religion. 
They may give off an appearance of spirituality, but doing these things really don't have any value in stopping your flesh. It doesn't really make a difference for your inner spirituality. What you're doing on the outside doesn't mean, it doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity. Rigorous self-denial doesn't guarantee spiritual maturity. Because following rules don't have the power to transform a selfish human heart. Just purely following rules doesn't mean your heart is changed. One definition of legalism is trying to change someone from the outside in instead of the inside out. It puts rules at the center of our heart and lives. And really, we want Jesus at the center of our hearts and lives. Perfect behavior isn't the goal, which actually is weird for me to say because I'm the oldest of five and I'm kind of a rule follower. And any parents in the room, do we want our kids to behave in a certain way? Do we want them to follow the rules? Yes, we do. But perfect behavior isn't the goal. It's too hard for them to achieve, for one thing, right? They're going to fail. But also, their heart and their motivation is much more important than perfect behavior. What Jesus did in his life, death, and resurrection doesn't need to be supplemented by additional laws. Jesus fulfilled on our behalf all the laws of the Torah, and people tended to use them like a crutch, like an outward reassurance that they were pleasing God, that they were doing enough to earn God's pleasure. But since most of us can't follow 613 Jewish rules, many of us will live with guilt and shame for falling short. But the Jesus we see in the Bible cares much more about our heart. It is unnecessary and actually harmful to continue to add more pressure. A point of clarification, this does not mean that we throw out all the standards. It doesn't mean we indulge in sinful behavior. God is very clear that there is evil, right? And there's a difference between man-made rules and God's rules. But from my experience, and this I would say is the most important point, from my experience, when I am rooted and built up, when I am in tune with the Spirit, I know what God wants me to do. And I'm not doing it out of obligation. I'm doing it out of joy because I want to please God, because I love God. Christ at the center, Christ alone, Christ above all. When we focus on Christ, things come into focus. When we focus on Christ, we will know how to live and what is essential. No longer are we chasing shadows. No longer are we trying to measure up and perfectly follow the rules. No longer are we trying to please all the false gods in our life. No longer are we putting on an outward show. 
So the application for us, a few questions. What have we felt pressure to add on to our lives? Why are we adding those things? What is the motivation? Could it be approval, prestige, guilt, fear? Does it seem scary to let them go? My prayer for us today is that we would not settle for anything less than Jesus. Please pray with me. Jesus, Jesus, you are the center, and we get distracted by all these additional pressures. God, we know we can't be perfect, but out of our great love for you, Lord, we want to live for you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. So, Lord, will you show us what is essential? Would you focus us? Jesus, we love you, and we want you to be the center of our lives. It's in your name that we pray these things. Amen.